0: About 2,000 years ago, a group of women showed up at a tomb and uh, they were asking all sorts of questions along the way of, there's a huge stone, there's Roman guards, how are we going to get to the body of Jesus? Because they were eyewitnesses to his death, meaning they saw Jesus just brutally battered and bruised and, and murdered by being nailed to a cross and they were bringing spices and aromas to care for this dead and decaying body. Now, to their surprise, they showed up, and the stone was rolled away, and as they look in, there is no body. Now, we can't have any concept of this unless you've ever been to a funeral, and you showed up at the graveside, and you're like, wow, where's the body? That would utterly not only scare you, frighten you, freak you out, but it would probably be the most confusing thing. I saw this man, this woman, dead. I saw it with my own eyes, and now I've come to the graveside where they were buried in their tomb and there is no more body. And this is the story according to Luke. It says this in uh, chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb and they found the stone <laughs> rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? What a phenomenal question. Why are you looking for someone who was alive in a tomb? What a phenomenal question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Verse 6, He is not here He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. A lot could obviously be said about these eight verses here in Luke's retelling of the resurrection, the Easter narrative. I want to look specifically at seven words. He is not here, he has risen. These seven words defined, changed the rest of humanity. He is not here, he has risen. Can you imagine hearing those words? If you are the women that have showed up to care for a dead body, a corpse that's decaying now on its third day, can you imagine showing up to your surprise and hearing these two men say, why do you look for a man who's alive in a place where there's dead people? And then the phenomenal seven words, he is not here, he has risen. Imagine if the words were just different. He, he's in here, he's still dead. He's, you've come to the right place. Take a left when you go into the tomb, he's... Can you imagine if that was the story? yep, he's still here. We're keeping watch over him. Thanks for coming. It was getting a bit smelly. There would be nothing left to talk about. It's the end of the story. The the game is over. And for those who followed him on Friday when Jesus died, when he was murdered, hanging on a cross, that's that's what everyone thought. We put our hope, we followed him, we listened to him. We surrendered our lives for three years to this man, and now he's dead. What's next? What do we do with ourselves? If the angels had said, yeah, he's still in here, he's still dead, There's not, we wouldn't be here today. I know I wouldn't be sitting here today. But seven words that changed everything, he is not here, he has risen. If this is true, and I believe with all of my life, my heart, my soul, that Jesus Christ is in fact alive, that he was not there because he had risen. If that is true, then we, all of us, humanity, must wrestle with this question, who is this man that even death could not hold him? Who is this man that was murdered? Thousands of eyewitnesses saw this man murdered. Who is this man that death could not even hold him? Tim Keller, a few years back, wrote a great book called The Reason, uh, of God, Reason for God, and he said this, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. I love how Keller just says, If he didn't rise from the dead, why worry about anything that Jesus Christ had to say? Who cares? He's dead. He can no longer influence or impact or change or heal or transform anyone. Why? Because he's dead. But if he, in fact, is alive, then everything that Jesus ever said, anything that Jesus ever did is validated because... He is alive. It would be very convenient to just kind of brush this story off and be like, this is the make you feel good story of the world. There is no better script, as it were, for, than the story of Jesus. It just makes me feel good about myself, my situation, my circumstance, just to kind of believe in this story. But it's just a story at best. But if Jesus Christ if this is true, and Jesus Christ, the one who claimed to be the Son of God, the Redeemer, the Messiah, if Jesus Christ, in fact, is alive, the one who said he was, had the authority to forgive sins, that he was the only way to get to God, who claimed to be the fulfillment of Scripture, the one who claimed to be the King, the one who claimed to be God in flesh, if this Jesus who made all of these radical claims actually, in fact, is alive, It changes everything, absolutely everything. So the question that Jesus often asked his followers was simply this, who do you say that I am? He actually asked his group of disciples in in, uh, Matthew's account, he says in Matthew 16, verse 13 through 14, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, well, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, the reality is the disciples were being kind of kind because they kind of left out of their response, their answer, well, actually, Jesus, people are kind of calling you demon-possessed. People are calling you a crazy madman lunatic who should be locked up. Even your family thinks you've lost it, Jesus. So they gave them the kind answers, good teacher, You know, a prophet, but they left out what the rest of the people were saying. But Jesus did not ask this question just to kind of see where popular opinion was about him. He was leading those that were following him to the quintessential question. It's a question that all of us have to wrestle with Who do you say that Jesus is? Because if he's alive, if the tomb was empty and everything that Jesus said, did, and he's alive, You have to have an answer for that question. I love how C.S. Lewis, in one of his great books, Mere Christianity, said this, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else... A madman or something worse. You can shut him up uh, for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. You got to make a decision. If Jesus Christ is in fact alive, it validates everything about him who he said he was, what he said he would do, what he said he would accomplish. You must make a decision. You must make a choice. Matthew 16 verse 15 says, what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? I don't think this is just a question that he specifically was looking at Peter or was specifically looking at the other 11 disciples. This is the question that Jesus poses to all of us. And it is the question I want us to walk away here, not confused about, concerned about, but convinced I know who I say Jesus is. Interesting that if you just look through history, a lot of people had a lot of different opinions about Jesus. If you just go and ask the average person on the street, who do you say that Jesus is, they'll give you a variety of different answers. I wanted to give you a little bit, a small spectrum of what uh, some famous people in history have said about the person of Jesus. Now, just because they said these things does not mean their life was orientated around the person of Jesus. There's a difference about having an opinion of Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus. This is what Napoleon said. I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius. Napoleon's not a humble man at all, you know. (laughs) Upon force, Jesus Christ founded his empire on love, and at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Napoleon had a very high view of Jesus, but his view was he was a man of love. He was a man who taught love, who showed love, who demonstrated love. And that's certainly a big part of who Jesus is and what Jesus did, but that's not all of Jesus. H.G. Wells said this, "'I am a historian, I am not a believer, "'but I must confess as a historian "'that this penniless preacher from Nazareth "'is irrevocably the very center of history. "'Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure "'in all of history.'" Typical of a historian, I need a mark in history that defines history. I pick Jesus. Again, opinion does not necessarily or necessitate a relationship. He was very clear. I'm not a believer. I just have high respect or high regard for him. Sholem Ash, who is uh, an Orthodox Jew, said this, Jesus Christ is to me the outstanding personality of all time, all history, both the Son of God, and Son of Man. Everything he ever said or did has value for us today, and that is something you can say of no other man, dead or alive. This is no easy middle ground to stroll upon. You either accept Jesus or reject him. Now, it's interesting at best, maybe helpful to some, to look at what other people throughout history have said. This is at best a small sampling. But it is not enough just to look at what other people have said about Jesus. You must live with you. You must stand before yourself in the mirror. This is who I say Jesus is. Once again, who do you say that Jesus Christ is? And before you come to an answer, now some of you might feel like you already have an answer to this question. I want you to listen to what Scripture says about Jesus, what Jesus said about himself. Before you make a decision on who Jesus is and ultimately who you say Jesus is, I want you to be well-informed. This is what the Bible says about Jesus, and this is what Jesus said about himself. If you have a pen and a bulletin in hand, write these things down. This is what scripture says about Jesus. says this, Jesus is the victor over sin. Jesus is the victor over Satan. Jesus is the victor over death. Jesus is the victor over hell. Jesus is the I am, meaning God. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the door to salvation. Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life. Jesus is the righteousness of God. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the resurrection and life. Jesus is the ultimate demonstration of God's love. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus is perfect and without sin. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for sin. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the one who reconciles us back to God. Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus is our justification. Jesus is perfect, was without sin. Jesus is returning to take those who are his to be with him forever. Jesus is the Son of Man, the Son of David, the Son of God. Jesus is the Savior, Messiah, the Christ. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is eternal. He is the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Creator. Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and Jesus is Alive. Now, what do you say about him? You cannot sit here and say, he's a good man who makes me feel good about myself. He did not give you that option. This, at best, is a small sampling of who Jesus said he was, what scripture testified about this man. I'll put it again to you. Who do you say that Jesus is? I like how C.S. Lewis just summed it up. You gotta make a choice. He's either Lord, he is all of these things and so much more, or he is ultimately a madman. He was crazy, dangerous to himself and dangerous to those around him. The amazing message, the good news of the gospel, of Easter is because Jesus is alive All of these things are fulfilled. All of these things are true. All of these things are validated. If Jesus is dead, all of those are null and void. They mean nothing. Why? Because he's dead. But because Jesus is alive, you have to have an answer for who you say he is. Now, a lot of people I've met along the way, and I used to do this myself, just kind of had a cafeteria approach to Christianity. You go into a cafeteria and you kind of pick and choose what you like and you just walk away from what you don't like. Jesus did not give you the option to cafeteria cap, to be a, for him to be a cafeteria for you. He put himself out there of who he said he was, what he said he would do, and it was all accomplished in an empty tomb. He actually said this in Matthew chapter, or Mark chapter 8, verse, starting at verse 34. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when it comes when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. I share that verse for one reason. Jesus did not give you an exemption. You either accept Jesus for who he is, for what he said he would accomplish in everything he accomplished, or you reject him. There's no cafeteria Christianity allowed with Jesus. And I wanted to be as crystal clear this morning that if you choose to identify, receive, recognize that Jesus Christ is alive, he is Lord, he is Savior, he is God's Son, he is Messiah, and have received him in your life as such, I want you to know what that means. If you're a Christian and you've made this decision to follow Jesus, to receive Jesus, to confess Jesus, there are five things that become true. Very quickly, you are assured of eternal life. If you know Jesus, you have eternal life. John 6, Jesus said this, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. 1 Corinthians 6, 14, by the power God raised, By his power God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. If you know Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus who is alive, that means you have life, both now and for eternity. You can know that for sure. A hundred percent confidence, assurance that because Christ is alive, you've received him as such, you have eternal life. Secondly, you are assured that your sins are forgiven, no longer condemned. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture simply says this, Colossians chapter two, verse 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away and nailed it to a cross. You do not stand condemned in Christ if you've received and recognized him for who he is, all of your sins, past, present, future, completely forgiven. Who else could ever say that to you? Romans 8 verse 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No one, God himself and no one else could ever point the finger and condemn you. If God doesn't condemn you, why would you? And why would you allow anyone else to condemn you? Because of Christ, you're not condemned. Number three, you are assured that you have Peace with God. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What an inf- phenomenal gift that you can have peace with God. You don't have to worry about where you stand with God. You don't have to worry about what God thinks of you, because in Christ, you're at peace with God. No longer an enemy of God, no longer in rebellion against God. In Christ, if you've received and recognized him as God's son and savior, all of those things I mentioned, you have peace with God. Now, and you enter into eternity knowing that you don't have buckling knees of I hope God accepts me because in Christ he has. Number four, you are a new creation set free from living in sin and empowered to live for God. Someone shared this verse with me when I became a Christian and it really just changed everything for me because I was... I made sin my job. I was good at it. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Michael Davis in Christ, the old, the old selfish, sinful, rebellious, hard-hearted, stubborn, stiff-necked guy is dead and gone. If you are a Christian, if you've received, recognized Jesus as such, you're a new creation. You are a new creation. Old is gone and the new has come. Romans 8 verse 11 says this, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who lives in you. This life starts now. Rachel Samadji shared a phenomenal story. God is changing, transforming her life now. This is not something that you have to wait to experience until you enter into eternity. When you come to Christ, when you receive Christ, it begins now, the very moment. There is a profession of faith, a possession of faith, new creation. And lastly, number five, you have everything you need in Jesus. If you have confessed and recognized Jesus as God's Son and Savior, Lord, King of Kings, You have everything you need now and forever in Jesus. Paul says this in Philippians, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through through him who gives me strength. Nowhere in scripture does Jesus ever say life is going to be easy. But numerous times, Jesus says, but I'm with you. I'll walk through the storms with you. I'll walk through the trials, the persecutions, the disappointments, the hurts. i walk with you. In Christ, we have everything we need, everything. This is not to diminish anyone's pain right now. But in your pain right now, what you need most, what you need more than anything is Christ. He is sufficient for your greatest hurt, your greatest disappointment, your greatest pain. It's Jesus is what you need. Not another friend, not another something else. What you need is Jesus because he is sufficient. These are such amazing promises that we receive through faith in Christ. But I'll tell you what null and void if Jesus is dead. He can't make that promise if he's dead. But if he is alive, if the tomb was empty and Jesus was resurrected, raised back to life, the man who conquered death, everything that he promises, everything that he says is completely validated. I've tried to make pretty clear, if you are a Christian, if you received Christ, recognize Christ as God's Son, as Savior, Messiah, Redeemer, King of Kings, These things are true. I've made that clear, and I want to be equally as clear. If you make the decision to answer the question by, who do you say that Jesus is? I reject him. He's nothing more than a good moral man, a good teacher. Then I will be equally clear and tell you the consequences of that choice. It would be unloving of me not to tell you the consequence of a choice to reject Jesus. Jesus said it best. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. If you make the decision to answer the question, I reject Jesus. I recognize he's a man of history, good man, moral man, helped a lot of people, healed a few people along the way, but that's it. You're making a choice to reject who Jesus said he was. And if you make that decision to reject Jesus, you are cut off from God, both now and for eternity. The wrath of God still remains on you. You are still stuck in sin, left to pay the penalty of sin, which is an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And hell is real, it's eternal, it's hot. That is the consequences of rejecting Jesus. This morning... I just, my heart was so excited to share with you that Jesus is alive. And because he is, it changes everything. All of these promises, assured of life eternal, assured, sins forgiven, no longer condemned, assured that you have peace with God, you're a new creation, you have everything you need in Jesus. Because Jesus is alive, all of that is true. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? In a few minutes, we're going to celebrate uh, communion. We do this every week at Genesis. Every time we gather as a community, we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. If you are a Christian, I invite you to come and celebrate communion by taking a piece of the bread and dipping it in the wine or juice. And today on Easter, spend a few moments here. We've set up four stations up front. Spend a few moments and say, Jesus, thank you that you are alive and because you are alive, all of these promises are true. Everything you've ever said or done is validated because you are alive. Thank Jesus that you have life, that your sins are forgiven, that you have peace with God. Give thanks to Jesus that he is everything you'll ever need. If that's true of you, that you're a Christian, then come and celebrate communion today deep gratitude in your heart. But if you're not a Christian, if you're sitting here listening to these things of who Jesus is, what the Bible said about him and what Jesus said of himself, and you're making a choice to reject Jesus, I would implore you, Paul's language in 2 Corinthians 5, I implore you, be reconciled to God. Leave this place knowing that you have life eternal Sins are forgiven. You have peace with God. Make the decision today to open your mind and your heart to receive and recognize that Jesus Christ is in fact the Son of God, the Savior, the one who paid the penalty my, penalty for my sins. Receiving Jesus is a confession of the heart. I'm gonna give us a few moments just to be quiet. If you've not prayed, if you've not received Recognize Jesus as Christ, as your Messiah, as your Savior. I implore you today, please, leave here being reconciled to God.